0: Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. It's that time of the year again, folks. Flights are being tracked. Rumours of high-profile sightings in airports, supermarkets and boulangeries are anywhere and everywhere. And the premature uploading of countless YouTube compilations welcoming players to clubs they will never join has reached a frenzy. It is, of course, transfer deadline day in France as elsewhere in Europe. Surely most weeks that would dominate a podcast, but with a titanic upset in the league to dissect, a frantic day of attempted TV right auctioning to unpack, and with a training ground attack, continuing 2021's rather unwelcome trend of attempted military coups having taken place, there truly is a lot to discuss. This week we'll be taking a look at PSG's defeats at the hands of 19th place Lorient, Lyon's last gasp win over Bordeaux, and Monaco's victory over Nantes, followed by the aforementioned talking points, and perhaps a look at some of the more exciting bits of business to happen in this transfer window so far at the end of the show, and maybe even our thoughts on some potential moves. Joining me tonight, I have Eric Devin. Hey, Eric, how's it going? Well, well thank you. Yes, yes. Uh, raucous few
1: days in France. <laughs>
0: <laughs> raucous as ever. Um, I'm also joined by Kale Stockwell. Cale, how are you doing? Good, Jake. Thanks for having me to be here. Pleasure as always. Uh, Let's jump straight into the weekend's games, if we may, and uh, where else to start other than Paris Saint-Germain's trip to Brittany. PSG looked to have found their rhythm under new boss Maurizio Pochettino with three straight wins in the league and travelled to a side all the way down in 19th place. Lorient had looked more solid of late, but was still languishing in the relegation zone with just one win in six. That win had come on Wednesday evening as Les Merlus won their relegation six-pointer against Dijon in the 96th minute. And to say that instilled a sense of belief now seems well and truly to be an understatement. 2-1 down going into the final 10 minutes. Lorient miraculously turned things around to beat the Parisian Giants 3-2, thanks to goals from Johan Wieser and Tere Mofi, delivering one of the shocks of the season – PSG losing top spot in the league, and Lorient now level on points with Nantes and safety. kale, 18 places difference in the table. What a performance and what an exceptional win for Christophe Pellissier and Lorient that was.
2: Yeah, it was a fantastic win. Fantastic. And they looked up for it from the first whistle. I mean, if you were watching, I think you could tell from the jump that Lorient thought you know what? Uh, we can actually get something out of this PSG side. And I think it's important to note too that there was it was pretty heavily rotated PSG side as well. You know, Tilo Kerr started at uh, center back. Uh, Danilo and Paredes were the double pivot. Uh, although the fr- it's important you know, the front four were you know the front four: Accardi, Mbappe, Neymar, and Di Maria. So they they were up against the usual suspects, but they looked ready, and and I thought they. They played fantastic. They, what a win. Fantastic job by them.
0: Yeah, it, it was a sensational performance. And a, a couple of particular um, highlights there. Um, former Marseille Academy product, product Laurent Abougel, getting a goal um, and also an assist. When, he, when, he, uh, when he, saw, he scored, you could see what it meant to the former Marseille man. He said after the match, the first dream of a Marseille is to play for Marseille. The second dream is to beat PSG. I am delighted. Um, what did you make of his performance in particular, Kale? He was getting a lot of praise in L'Equipe. I think he made five tackles, five ball recoveries, um, as well as the goal and the assist I mentioned. You know, It was a pretty complete performance from him.
2: Yeah, I thought he was good. I, th- I thought everyone in the midfield was good, to be fair, but uh, he was just energetic, lively, strong, physical right from the outset. He was in Neymar's ear from the very beginning of the match to the very end. He didn't let anyone off lightly in the middle of the pitch there. You know, he was all action, I think. I mean, you mentioned some of the stats there, but, you know, seven tackles plus interceptions in the 90s. So that's that's some pretty impressive work to do all by yourself in, in the midfield. You know, I thought Lorient's game plan was was obviously very effective, but quite smart you know they they played a back 5 against the ball and then they had four in midfield and they just had the lone forward up top and but what that midfield did really aggressively was they they worked really really hard to cage those two that double pivot of PSG Danilo and Paredes who are not overwhelmingly effective let's say as a combination and uh <laughs> and by sort of caging that 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 duo they really limited what PSG could do between the lines. Like the, the amount of balls that PSG were able to move from that midfield into the front four, they were just, there were not nearly enough of them. The action that you usually see when PSG are playing well just didn't happen.
1: Can I, can I ask you a question here, Caleb? So we're going to talk later about, about my, my Guardian column, uh, or Adam, Adam White's Guardian column, but the first column that we wrote more than four years ago talked about how PSG as a team still underperformed without Marco Verratti. And I wonder, given his, his renewed prominence in, under Pochettino, for, in your, your estimation, is that, is that still the case? I mean, is this team still capable of being at its best uh, without Verratti?
2: Um, No, I think you kind of nail it there, to be honest. I I was thinking about the exact same thing before we started chatting, which is just like, they just are not nearly the same outfit without him. I mean, like, we shouldn't maybe be too aggressive because Verratti, in my opinion, is one of the best players in the world in that position. So to lose that player in any team, you'd be hurting. But... Yeah, he just makes them function like they are so much more press resistant and they're so much better at progressing the ball and working, uh, working their triangles with variety in the park. They just don't seem to have anyone else that can do that. And, you you know, like I'm not a fan of Danilo, to be honest with you. (laughs) Like, I think he was one of the strangest buys I've ever seen. He is super slow. He does not make progressive passes. He basically kills the buildup every single time. And I just wonder if, if at some point why Pochettino and even, uh, sorry, Tuchel before him, I wonder why they don't look on the pitch and see how little this guy is doing to move the team forward in possession and don't make earlier changes. You know, again, I think Danilo, I'm just going to check again. Yeah, he played the full 90 minutes last, that game against L'Oreal, and he was, like, abject. Like, he was really bad on the ball, and I think if you're going to take someone like Verratti out, and you're going to play a team that's playing a 5-4-1, then why not at least try something a little different? I know they don't really like to use Draxler, and he's kind of a different type of player, but you know, put him in, maybe see what he can do. Gay came on for the last 10-12 minutes, I think, and he made a bit of an impact, but yeah, they just... They're just not the same team without Verratti, and they've they've never found a solution for it. But they haven't worked that hard to try and find one, to be honest with you. You know,
0: no, that's very true. And and I guess that's why well, you, your your thoughts on Danilo there. I guess that's why Tuchel did <laughs> insist on playing him at, at centre back. You know, instead of instead of in midfield. But you talk there about um, about how they missed um, Marco Verratti and you know his importance to this team. Do you feel that his impact in terms of ball progression in terms of move construction was what was missing here i mean Lorient's xg from open play looking at the stats was 1.34 and psgs was just 0.15 you know both of those goals were penalties what was is he the missing factor in terms of what's been lacking for this side or is there something is there something more missing
2: i don't know and i think it'd be good to get your guys opinion on it as well but I think Verratti is a huge—he's a huge factor in it. Like when you look at his stats, I mean, you don't have to look at his stats. When you watch PSG play, you can see how much work he's doing to move the ball. Like the amount of touches that he gets is just obscene. Um, but also, I think what you're really starting to notice, and what you really started to notice under Tuchel, was the real lack of good quality play from their fullbacks. Like when PSG were at their best, I would argue at. Roughly around, you know, just before the break last season, I would have put them just below Bayern as the as the best team in Europe. And the work that their fullbacks did in possession was spectacular. Like Bernat and Munier, I know he's not everyone's favorite, but the way that PSG could use the wings to progress the ball because those guys were so technically proficient, like really is what kind of... Put them head and shoulders above the team that maybe they'd been the last few years. I think you're seeing the effects of having Kurzawa and then Florenzi, who I think is a fine crosser of the ball, but outside of that, I don't think he's a fantastic fullback. I think you're really seeing the effects of that. And, you know, if I could just jump on one more thing, uh, is that they're so unbalanced. Like the right side of that team against Lorient was Carer, Florenzi. Danilo and Di Maria. And I'm watching the match and thinking, like, what do you want Di Maria to do here? Like, Kerr, Florenzi, and Danilo are not a triangle that is going to be well known for making dynamic moves up the wing. So I think they have a real issue in those positions.
0: Obviously, we're, we're at the end of the window, and it doesn't look like anyone's going to be coming in uh, today. Um, perhaps I'll eat those words, but where do you feel Eric is a position that PSG perhaps need to strengthen? If not, if not, if not tonight, then certainly in the summer, would you agree that it's perhaps at fullback?
1: Yeah. I I mean, left back, you know, I think in, in backer and Bernat, uh, you've got two decent fullbacks there. I mean, Bernat's more than decent, you know, Uh, but I, I think right back's been an issue I think even more than more than the departure of Mounier, he was he Mounier at his best. Say if we're talking twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, was a was a fantastic right back. Um, but I think you know his form dropped, um, and when that was the case, I I think that they've sort of you know done this sort of half stepping in that regard. You've got Thilo Kehrer. Okay, is he a right back? Is he a, is he a center back? I don't think he's very good at either, to, to be brutally honest. <laughs> um, you know, you've got Colin Dagba coming up, who's you know been capped for France at underage levels, He's a decent prospect. But again, you know, this team, this team's ambitions, this team's drive, this team's focus—if they want to keep Neymar and Mbappe, hint, hint—should be to not <sighs> have a glaring weakness in a position that, in the modern game, is so important. I mean, you know Neymar's best play for p s g has come with has come it, it in the last season, and that's because he's had Bernat working alongside him, you know doing that dirty work, but still providing enough craft and, and guile and skill going forward and the the fact that p s g haven't had that compliment on the on the right the right hand side means that they, yeah, exactly, as you say, kale, they are lopsided and and that is an area that they need to address. Um, you know, Florenzi, again, yeah, he's a decent enough player. But, you know, is he upper echelon top five teams in Europe quality? No. I mean, that's that's why he was at Roma. And, you know, no offense to Roma, they're a solid European level side. But if they were willing to let him go out on loan, rather than hold out for a deal, knowing the financial power that PSG have, hold out for a permanent deal, you know, I think that speaks volumes as to what, you know, what the level of his quality is and he, he has had a couple of nice goals and and runs this this year I mean he's again but is he you know the comp the the equivalent of say Munier at his best no um yeah I mean the, the injury to Bernat that's hard to that's hard to forecast right that that someone I mean when was, when was he hurt late September early October to have a player go out for the the entire season at that juncture is is a tough thing for which to legislate it was I'm pretty certain it was after the transfer market, so maybe it was more like mid-October, or after the transfer market had, had closed. Um, but yeah, that, that was a glaring weakness this summer that I I don't think was really addressed. Um, yeah, I, I mean, sure. I, I think I think other positions, no. I think they've got, you know, with Pablo Sarabia having that level of versatility, and the same thing with Di Maria. They can both play on both flanks. I think that's relatively covered. I think midfields, again, you know, I take the point about Virati being being dynamic, but it's it, it it's sort of a challenge in that regard. That he, well, he does help in that regard. Um, you know, I think that playing a four two three one without him is is what makes it limited. If you play a four two four, uh, you know, with with the the fantastic four, uh, Neymar and Mbappe. Picardi and Di Maria as that front four, I think his importance becomes less, less. But if if you're playing a four, two, three, one, I think you need more creativity from central areas um, in order to really stretch play and and to really, you know, free that central attacking player from to, to have a more creative impact on the match. Um, So yeah, a new right back. Um, It's, it's gotta be job one. I mean, I feel like I had seen a, a return for Serge Aurier mooted. I, I don't know if either of you guys had seen that as a potential rumor. I hadn't seen that personally, but yeah, it was it was oh. a problem. It's been a problem for the last two or three years. Um, you know, I, so I, I I don't know why you know they've spent all this money on central midfielders and Abdou Diallo and and all this um, when there's other issues that need to be. Re- Need
0: to be addressed. <clears throat> yeah, it does seem like the club has, has a recurring issue of actually addressing the areas that need to be strengthened. You know, it was the same with in that central midfield position for, for a long time. And now they do seem to have kind of addressed that, but perhaps not with quite the right personnel. Um, you, you kind of mentioned it there or a while back, Eric, in, with, a, with a very subtle hint, I suppose, um, that uh, there has been an update in the kind of Neymar saga, if you like, um, which is that he has vocally expressed a desire to stay at the club, uh, telling Tefan in France, a lot has changed. I want to stay at PSG. Um, I also want to stay. Um, I want, sorry, I want Kylian to stay at PSG. I also want to stay. We want PSG to be a great team. Kale, this was kind of unthinkable 13 or 14 months ago, but how good is that for, for PSG and, and also for Ligue 1? I think it's, I think it's great
2: for Ligue 1. I think losing him, you know, it'd be the same as losing Mbappe. You need these players to stick around, uh, whether you like him or not. He's a huge draw, and he's a fantastic player to watch on his day, and he's one of the best talents in the entire world. As a league, you want you want that guy in your league. I think for PSG, it's a it's a huge boon. I mean, it you know everything's going to depend on the numbers and. Uh, they're definitely still going to be in a pretty precarious FFP situation um, when they're trying to figure out contracts for these guys. And, and it's going to be more finagling, and, and I, I don't know how they're going to make it all happen. But uh, if you can keep him, I think you can keep you keep him. He's still an outrageous producer. you know. Like, it's kind of insane. You could say, I mean, you alluded to it earlier, Jake, you could say that the last two years have arguably been the best two years of his career period. So you're still in the zone where Neymar is producing at you know levels that we have never seen before. So if you're PSG, I feel like it's no brainer. But you also gotta keep Mbappe. You gotta keep that in your mind too. Like you don't want to let that guy walk away and then in three years be looking over at a club like Real Madrid and seeing Gillian Mbappe beat you in the Champions League. You know, that would be not a great look.
0: Not a great look at all, and I do think it's so important for the league, especially with kind of all the uncertainty financially surrounding um, professional football in France, with the chaos that's going on. But but let's let's end this this match on a more positive note. That's now two hugely morale-boosting wins for different reasons, you could say, um, for Lorient, which perhaps would have been difficult to predict a month ago. Um, Kale, in that match and and more recently as well, have you kind of seen a newfound quality or newfound belief or resilience in this in this Lorient side uh, that you can see continuing? And and do you think they have the potential to kind of, um, I guess, overtake the likes of uh, of Nantes and Saint Etienne in the in the race for survival? You know, like it
2: it reminds me when I think about this. It reminds me. I think of maybe an article that Eric wrote at the very beginning of the year about. How the, how the promoted teams have sort of brought some fresh, intense play to the league. And I've always thought watching Lorient that they work hard, that they're a good outfit, that I like them as a unit. I like a lot of their players. I think Wissa is a great, is a fantastic player. He belongs in Ligue 1. And so I, I, I never watch them and think that I'm really disappointed. You know, I think they're just in a real dogfight to try and stay up. When you look at the team's, that are at the bottom of the league right now, you know, they're on the same number of points as Nantes. They're not that far behind St. Etienne. Right behind them is Dijon and Nîmes. Like, I I don't think any of these teams are particularly bad. I mean, I think I would maybe rank Dijon and Nîmes slightly below below them. But, I think they have the capability of staying up. I just think I just think no matter what you do, no matter how hard you work, it's just going to be a really difficult year. There's a lot of games very close together, and and the teams that you're scrapping with, in some cases, I think are are decent quality teams. Well,
1: I, I wanted to 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 add my my two cents on that too. I think um, we were talking about this in the preview show on Thursday that I think Lorient are. Lorient-Dijon, for me, despite Dijon having lost at the weekend and having to play uh, Lyon uh, on Wednesday, are, those two, to me, are the best-equipped teams to stay up. And I'll say why. Because they have an identity. If we look at what Lorient are doing under uh, Christophe Pellissier, it's to play on the front foot, it's to be attacking. They've done that the entire season. I also think, I should add, too, on the match uh, from yesterday, that that it was rather canny of him to not bring on or to not have the likes of Mafia or Wissa starting. You've got PSG tired. You've got them because, right, they've, mm-hmm. everybody's got a match in midweek. So to have your, to, to me, Wissa and your have been your two best attacking players this season, have them come off the bench with half an hour to play I think is really a stroke of genius on the part of Pelletier. Um, but Lorient have that identity, that attacking identity, and Dijon have a defensive identity. So I think... You're looking at it's it's going to be neem I know since went at the weekend, and I know they're getting modest. We'll talk about that. Um, but I think I think the automatics places are are, are going to have to be neem and and um, not because I don't see any set, sort of identity from either of those sides. And I think that we can look at Lorient and and know they're going to attack, and look at Dijon and know how well they played under the NRS defensively. That that's going to be the difference there. I, you know, I even at the weekend, you know, holding. Lille to one goal is no mean feat either.
2: No, indeed. Yeah, I think to piggyback a, a little bit on what Eric's saying too, you know, is we've we've seen in the past the last couple of years, if you can come up into Ligue 1 and you have a strong identity, there's a really good chance that you can stay up. When you look at teams like Rons, even Nîmes, the you know when Nîmes first jumped up, or sure. a team like Long this year. You're seeing the same sort of things. I, I think this is probably for a different pod, but I agree with Eric. I think Nantes are in a lot of trouble, and it's quite
0: unfortunate. They are, and we will be coming on to them later. But for now, uh, I want to stick with the, uh, the title race, I suppose. Well, from a PSG perspective, at least. Not Obviously not from a, from a Lorient perspective. Um, Lyon had a tricky match at the weekend. They welcomed Bordeaux to the Groupama Stadium on Friday night. Uh, they had seemingly got their mojo back with a 5-0 derby win over Saint-Étienne in their previous game, but faced a Bordeaux side looking increasingly consistent, having won their last three. Lyon looked to be playing below the high standards they set themselves this season in what was a fairly even contest, Carl Toko opener being cancelled out by a Samuel Kalou equaliser. However, Lyon took themselves temporarily top of the table thanks to a late, late winner, from right back, Leo Dubois, Eric. A very good three points for Lyon, but they had to work hard for this one, didn't they?
1: Yeah, there's no shame in that. I mean, you know, we Bordeaux under general louis Gasset have been very defensively solid. Um, you know, Bison and Kachalny are not spring chickens, but they they have that that sense of solidity there, and they've even you know managed to weather the the loss of Otavio um, in, re- in relatively impressive form. Um, they were well up for it. They they worked hard. Um, you know, Kalu's goal was a bit opportunistic, and there was also, I would say, a bit of bad luck in terms of uh, the way that Kambi had opened the scoring. It looked like Kachelny expected the ball to be cleared, uh, and that's sort of why it, it um, uh, by by Bice, and that that's why it sort of fell to him. And he seems somewhat somewhat surprised by it. But no, it's you know, I, I think just as we saw in that, that draw against Wren that even against teams that are of a, well, not of a similarly high caliber, but are also have European ambitions, and I think we can put Bordeaux into that bracket given their their play this season. Um, I think that we ought to look at that and say, you know, Leon Leon's attitude in terms of continuing to fight um, is what makes the difference. I mean, these, you know, uh, coming from behind is something that they've done or, or battling back to get points from a draw or from a losing situation is something they've done on more than one occasion uh, in recent weeks. And I think that that, that to me shows that they have uh, the ability to you know continue to push Lille um, at and at PSU, again, are still the favorites for me. Um, you know, I think once fixture congestion heats up a little bit, Leon and Lille might have uh, a little bit more of a hard time. you know, Rudy Garcia was saying in his press conference this morning, uh, you know, we've got three matches in ten days and then Montpellier. You know, it's not like it's it's easy uh for for um for Leon. But again, yeah, uh the team shows good character, they're working hard, they're working as a unit. Um you know, the the absence of Jason Denier, I think, could complicate things. Um so he's you know, the the club don't know the the length of his time, uh length of his absence at present, but He's, uh, you know, he's certainly, I think, you know, been a very, very undersung part of that, that, that squad um, this year and last. Um, and to have him out for any extended period of time could really derail their title host. But yeah, again, it's that drive, it's that motivation, it's that willingness to keep working. I think that makes them, um, you know, a team that's not only fun to watch in terms of the the way that their attack works, but, but also one who's who's going to, you know, you know, keep playing with
0: a bit between their teeth. Um you know, come what may kale um looking looking at Bordeaux now they obviously they 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 ran ran leon close, and as eric said that's no you know that's no 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 slant against leon you know Bordeaux in very very good form at the moment um do you feel that the jean louis gasset has has been able to kind of take this side to another level more recently because it does seem that they're able they've reached another level of consistency that whereas perhaps kind of earlier on in the season it was one strong result, one poor result. You know, I think I think look back, and I think it was, um, I think there was a win over Monaco right earlier on, followed by followed by a, a pretty comprehensive defeat. So, you know, is have have we seen have you seen noticeable improvement in Bordeaux in recent weeks?
2: Yeah, I think the big difference for me is just being offensively. You know, I mean, we all knew that Gasset would bring a certain level of defensive football to them. And I think that's kind of building off what they did the year before with Pablo Sousa. But I think you're starting to see, especially in the last few weeks, them produce some pretty nice offensive performances, particularly their performance against Nice, although, you know, that might say more about Nice at this point in time. But I thought, again, they were. They were really good going forward against Lyon. I thought this was an excellent match, by the way, just all together. I thought both teams were really going for it, and and they looked quite good. But uh, the one thing that I really like um, that he's done kind of by accident is moved Yassine Adli further back in midfield. And Mm. I think he's been super effective back there, and you could see it again against Lyon. He just looked possessed, I thought, that match. And... He was doing everything, you know, I thought he was working hard defensively. He had a number of defensive actions. I think he actually led the team, yeah, with eight tackles and eight interceptions. And then going forward, you know, he just does what he was supposed to have done as like where all this potential was coming from. And he was really the catalyst for their attack as well. So I think that is a a pretty dynamic shift and has allowed them to at least have a platform in midfield to start and develop their offense, which... I think to add, you know, one more thing, I think you're starting to see the fruits of some of their work in the transfer market uh, or loan market payoff in that front four. I think Wijo looks pretty good. I think that Remy Udin is finally settling in and they really need him <laughs> to get back to the level that he was at with France and then, uh, you know, Atom Ben Arfa kind of just does his thing in there. So. I really like what I've seen the last few weeks. Hopefully they we can continue because, you know, it would be really nice to see Bordeaux back sort of up near the top of the table competing.
0: Uh, one one factor that might be important to sustaining um, this good form, I suppose, and, and higher performance levels that we've seen is is Bordeaux signing of Jean-Michael Serri on loan from Fulham. Uh, obviously, Serri kind of made his name at, at, at Nice's as one of Ligan's really most competent midfielders in, in the last decade. You know, he was hugely impressive under Lucien Favre and, and links with moves to the likes of, of Barcelona. Eric, how big a signing is this for, for Bordeaux? And for fans who maybe didn't see much of Seri in Ligan, but kind of did see his uh, poorer performances he was giving for Fulham and, and and you know, maybe saw a bit of his time in Turkey, but not too much. What can what can people expect from, from Jean-Michael Serri?
1: Yeah, he's someone who, you know, at his best plays a bit between his teeth. He's a fantastic passer. I think that, you know, whoa, you know, stop me if this seems like a bit of hyperbole, but I think in terms of being someone who's sort of an all action midfielder but has that bit of guile and creativity about him that can really transform a side, you know, there might be, you know, shades of what Lucas Paqueta has done for, for Leon this season. I think in terms of, you know, Leon were certainly a capable side before his arrival. Um, but I think that, you know, again, it's, it's fusing those elements together. And I think that that's something we can, we can see, um, we can see the fruits of that having that, you know, all action sort of dynamism in the midfield really can transform a side. And I think that given that Gasse has a, a, a solid keeper in Costile, a good defense, um, and attackers, a set of attackers who are good, but I think, um, you know, could use a bit more deftness in how how things are knit together. That Sari could could really do that. I you know I I think that top five is probably going to stay the top five. Um, but that sixth spot, I mean, you've you've got really given the form of some of the other teams in and around that area. Uh, you know that that's anybody's sixth sixth place um, if it becomes a Europa League spot, depending on the outcomes of the cup. Um, that's a spot that's that's really open for anybody, and I think that that's that's going to be an interesting race to watch. I mean, Frederic Antonetti, Mets scored four at the weekend. I know it's against press, but like, there's there's a lot of compelling reasons to watch um, the battle for that. And I think that 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 Sarri, oh, is, is he make Bordeaux the favorite for that spot. I mean, if he can play at anything approaching the level he did for Nice, I I, I might be tempted to say as much, um, yeah. given what's going on at Marseille. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah yeah certainly given what's going on at Marseille and we will we will come to that but but yeah i mean i mean if Seri is able to replicate anything like the form he 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 showed at nice then you know this could be a really really transformative january signing we were talking a bit before the show about kind of big league on january signings and though obviously this isn't one uh, you know big on the on the money side of things it is it does have a lot of potential i think uh, if he can if he can show some of that some of that ability that he was able to show on the Côte d'Azur. Speaking of the European race, um, our last game we'll be talking about is uh, Monaco um, versus Nantes. So Monaco travelled up to Nantes to face uh, Raymond Dominic's side. Uh, Dominic, despite getting some promising early performances out of his side, was still without a win on three draws and one defeat, uh, with Nantes continuing their descent towards the relegation zone, uh, very articulately alluded to. By our guests. Um, Monaco on the other hand have been in very rich form in 2021 indeed winning all four of their matches so far and scoring 14 goals uh, as many would have predicted it was indeed Les Monegasques who took the three points here securing a 2-0 lead before non centre back uh, Nicolas Pallois was sent off um, making the win virtually a done deal. Uh, Les Canaries did manage to get a goal back thanks to substitutes Renaud Edmond. But it was nothing more than a consolation as the visitors won 2 1. Uh, Kale, this was a, an entertaining match, right? And another impressive display from Monaco.
2: Yeah, once again, Monaco look like they're really clicking. They looked really good, especially that. I should want to highlight one thing that left side looked especially good. I thought Chou Yi, again, was, had a great match. Sofiane Diop was just had a fantastic match. And uh, Cal Enrique was also quite good. So, you know, they're getting contributions now from kind of all across their lineup. And they look like they have a real sense of what they're supposed to do every time they step on the pitch. And I think as well, the rest of Ligon should be a little bit nervous about how that partnership between Wissam-Benieter and Kevin Volant is starting to show signs of being effective. So they're definitely a team to... They're, they're definitely scary now. Uh, And I think, you know, we were talking last week about whether or not they could join the race for the top three. I said at that point I thought they were still, you know, a step behind the others. I still think they're maybe slightly below them, but they are definitely seeking to prove me wrong because they were quite good. I thought again not.
0: Yeah, you mentioned um, a few of the that left side and a few of the strong performers. I mean, for me, Caio Enrique was was amazing. He got one assist, five ball recoveries, and committed zero fouls. It felt like he was he was everywhere. Eric, what did you make of of his performance in particular in this match?
1: Yeah, you know, this this I'll have to say this is a transfer that sort of had me scratching my head. He was unable to settle at Atletico Madrid. <laughs> um but uh, his time on loan in in Serie A in, in Brazil, the Brazilian championship, um, seems to have done him a lot of good. I mean he you know he he displaced Fode Bellatore, who wasn't cheap, um, and has really made that position his own. He's you know you know speaking earlier of, of Juan Bernat, he's sort of that type of player that you know he he does have uh, you know a, a bit of flair and a bit of ability going forward to his to his game, uh, but he's also someone who puts in a lot of work, um, and I think that that's something that you know we kind of to, tent- T- can tend to go a little bit unnoticed uh, for fullbacks in the modern game, um, but I think that that you know, and I, I you know, Ruben Angular when he's fit in, in playing that that role too, is is also an important an important element of that. That um, that that really allows um, that central defense to be a little bit more settled, um, and it allows that it allows Monaco also that it has the knock on effect of allowing them to really control midfield. Um, you know, if um, if Choumany and, and Fofana don't have to work as hard to to cover for the runs of their fullbacks, that allows them to you know, use a two-man midfield uh, to to be a bit more dominant. Which again has which which allows the attackers to get more involved. I mean, so you know, strong and complete fullback play, I think, is is really something that um, you know can make a difference and has has made a difference for. Um, for Monaco. And we've also seen, you know, at times last night, it also looked like they were playing a back three, you know, that there's that's a, mm. a bit of a, a different wrinkle for them, um, which I think is important. You know, we, we've we talked about um, them switching systems a couple times this season. Uh, they had toyed around with a 4 3 3 with Sophie and Diop uh, playing a central midfield role rather than wide. Um, but I think that the partnership um, of uh, Ben Yedder and Boland. Um, it is so integral to that team's attacking philosophy that um, you know uh, Niko Kovac has recognized that, and he's he's he said that any, you know he's not saying, but he's evincing with his tactical decisions that um, they can play with a with a bit of variety around that, but that those two are, are going to still be the the primary uh, ways of doing that. But with Aguilar suspended, um, as he was at the weekend, um, they sort of moved to uh, moved to playing a. a a three-man attack and and, and city play, was playing as one of those central defenders um, and it looked good I mean it, you know um, you had Diop and and um uh, uh, De- uh, uh, Deata, Deata. yeah yeah Deata, uh playing on the wings and Diata looks a little bit harebrained at times but I think that um I think that by and large you know that shows another wrinkle um and that, that they could play that system and and move into it so well It's uh, another feather in Kovac's cap that you know it it's not just you know you know a lot of repeat in terms of that 442 that um you know he that, that that being able to shift that system tactically and still play at the same level of intensity and uh, effectiveness really shows that the, the team is really now you know really and truly coming to grips with uh what Kovac's philosophy is and it makes a big difference
0: it does it really does and um... Um, Kale, my my last question on Monaco f- for you is a, is a very very important one, um, and that is: Did Guillermo Maripán's coaches at youth level miss a trick in not training him as a striker? <laughs> he keeps scoring. What's <laughs> going on? Four goals in five <laughs> games now. I know it's crazy. You
2: can't take him out. He's too hot. Got to leave him in. Yeah, he's their he's their best striker after uh, Ben Yedder and volland So.
0: At least goal. we know that if one of those two, you know, as Eric obviously more seriously pointed out, those two as being so integral to the team in Voland and Ben we know that there is someone ready to step up should they need him. Um,
2: <laughs> they didn't need to go to the transfer market. They yeah. were okay.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It's all about utility players anyway. Um, lo- looking at Nantes now, guys, that, that's another defeat. Um, and they are now 18th in the relegation. Uh, sorry, level on points with the relegation, Jonas, I should say. Um, um, in fact, that should mean they're 17th. I've clearly noted that down wrong. Um, I, the signs under Dominic looked fairly promising. I think it's fair to say in the first couple of games. I mean, they got a couple of decent draws. That draw in the in the derby against against Ren, and they seem to have a quite a direct um, way of playing in a 4-4-2. And they they were garnering some praise. But but I mean, Kale, have you seen? Any obvious signs of improvement, really, since, since he took the job? And, and do you think Nonta... Well, I, you've actually already answered this question, I think, but do you see Nonta as serious contenders for the drop?
2: Uh, short answer, yes. I see them as serious <laughs> contenders for the drop, which is concerning because this is not a bad squad. Like When you go through and look at some of the players that they have and some of the talent that they even had on the pitch against Monaco, you think this team really has no business fighting for their league on life, but they are, Uh, you know, Eric spoke about it a little bit earlier in the pod, but I really think that this idea of, okay, what's your identity? What, what is it you're trying to achieve? You know, what concepts or ideas does your manager have that they're foisting onto the team? That's going to help you differentiate yourself from, the competition. And I just look at Nantes and I'm just like, this looks pretty much like a straight up and down counter-attacking side. And that's kind of what they've been doing all year. So, I mean, maybe there were like, there's a slight manager bump with Dominic because they want to impress the new guy, but I'm just not seeing much more out of them. That makes me think, Oh yeah, this team has got it together. They're really going to get themselves up from the basement this looks like they have kind of the same game plan as they did earlier in the year which led to them not winning a game for how many weeks is it now i don't know going back all the way to if i check quickly all the way to november so they're in trouble
0: they are in trouble i mean as you say they're you know you look at their squad and you do think that on paper they probably have a more talented squad than the teams around them i mean even on the bench, that you know, you've got the likes of Pedro Chirivella, um, Ludovic Bla, Khalifa Koulibaly, You know, the, the former obviously uh, a talented player, the latter two players who have delivered in in League 1. You know, and it is pretty pretty shocking to see a shocking state of affairs to see them them where they are. Um, Eric Ra- Raymond Dominic said this week that panic buying is not good. Um, you know, su- suggesting that Nantes probably wouldn't be making any moves kind of late on in the window, but but surely they need to be looking to strengthen somewhere to rectify the position that they're in.
1: I, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 not in the transfer market. Gosh, I mean, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I guess they've, they've done all right with, um, with some of the players they brought in, but I, I just, you know, I, to be fair, I actually thought they looked okay. Um yesterday, um I thought they had some some good opportunities. I think Kolomwani looked looked lively and they looked a little bit more threatening going forward playing this this 433 rather than 442. Um that mobility and, and pace that they have um in in attack uh with with Simon Kolomwani and Coco has potential. Um but yeah, I I it's it's a troubling set of circumstances. I, I, I I think that their defense is that of a team that's that's too that, that shouldn't be struggling for relegation. But I, yeah, I, I feel like you know what this team has has lacked since the, the tragic passing of of passing and departure of Emiliano Sala has been someone that can get them goals. I mean, their top scorer last year, I believe, was was Simon with five. Okay, again, they only played twenty eight games or whatever it was, but you know. It, it's it's the same this season. I mean, what does Kolamwani have? Three, four goals? I mean yeah. it's it's and he, he don't get me wrong, he's a you know a very talented player, and I think he's he's someone who can um who who given time can continue to progress. But um, you know, this this team has been chopped and changed so much personnel-wise, tactic, tactically, uh both by Gorkhoof and by and by Dominic. He started out playing a 4-4-2, now he plays a 4-3-3. Um, you know, brings in Lusa, takes out Lusa. Uh, you know, you know where's Ludovic Bla and all this, who I think is a tremendously talented player, but has really not been, who has really been given short shrift by, by Dominic. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, this, this is a symptom of the disease, as it were. Um, and it's, it's, it's Keta. It's, it's the entirely basket case way in which he runs this club, and you know. I, if you ask me, I think this team, you know, haven't really had an identity um, in terms of the way they play uh, since Michel Desjardins left. And you know, we're we're talking back. You know, we're, we're looking at like, you know, Olivier Vigneault as the captain and Luca Doe in defense. I mean, this is going back six or seven seasons now. Um, you know, that team worked hard and 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 scrapped on the flanks and were you know not great to watch, but they they had an identity and. And, you know, Jerzakarian had them in the top half of the table. But the way they're constructed now and the way that they, they have a lack of identity now, it's not something you can change with one or two signings. It it's really has to be, um, you know, a manager who's given a long enough leash to impose his style of play on the team and who has a defined style of play and is, is willing to, to, you know, you know, work to to have that installed. But I don't know that with, you know, with Keita having the the management style that he does, the ownership style that he does, that, that that's even possible at this point in time.
0: Yeah, I mean, do, do we see, do we see, uh, it's so hard to see anything, kind of any real positive change in the way, in Nantes fortunes with, with Keita as president. But, but, Kale, you know, is there a glimmer of hope? I mean, in, in the future, can we see a decision like, you know, Keita was the one who appointed Sergio conte as non-manager a few years back. And he obviously did, did immensely well as well. Um, and has gone on to do great things in Portugal. You know, do we do we do we think that this is a this is a president and this is a club capable of of uh, of you know making a, another shrewd appointment and and kind of fortunes improving or or you know is it is it just going to be manager after manager after manager? Poor decision, poor decision, poor decision, poor decision for Valdemar Keita and for 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 Nantes.
2: I mean, I think hypothetically, sure, like he could, but I think everything that Eric's outlined and everything that you've seen from this team in the last, let's say, three years, not going back further, uh, would indicate that that's not likely. I think they had a chance when they got rid of Gorkouf to... You know, take a breath and look around and try and find that type of manager. And then they landed on Dominic. And I think, like I said, you're kind of seeing the same thing replay itself here. Um, yeah, I wouldn't count on it, to be honest with you. And, and there's a lot of other things happening off the pitch that, you know, maybe we shouldn't get into now between not and exactly how they find their players and how they ended up with Dominic uh, that I think are probably playing a major factor in this but you know even to build on what eric was saying like i don't know how you can put this team out there and not have Ludovic blah and uh imran in the team like you've got these two guys that basically make everything happen for you offensively and for some reason blah just can't seem to get any minutes Uh, i i do think they're in serious trouble unless I, i don't know unless they can figure out a way to to start coalescing and playing some half-decent football.
0: It doesn't seem likely, does it? Let's let's, let's say it doesn't seem likely, unfortunately. Um, Now's the time in the show where we move on uh, to uh, talk on other talking points from the weekend. And uh, speaking of kind of unfavoured club presidents, I think there is certainly, well, there's a couple of elephants in the room, but certainly one elephant in the room in particular with regards to the events of the weekend, uh, that being the goings-on at Marseille, um, which uh owner Frank McCourt compared to the storming of the US Capitol building uh, we saw last month. Um Eric, maybe you can talk us through the uh the quite sensational events we saw taking place uh this weekend in Marseille.
1: Yeah, so um a group of ultras uh stormed the closed train crane ground. They they broke in, um they set off fireworks um, flares, uh set fires um you know uh, through things at the players um you know uh damage the inside of buildings um you know there's uh, adam white our colleague has written a piece in the guardian this week
2: um
1: it's up up now um i encourage you to read it it's got a fuller understanding but it, yeah basically it's it's um the fans re- revolted for lack of a better word it's it's uh it's an unseemly display. I mean, we saw something similar from Saint Etienne, not not to this margin, obviously, but we saw some similar disgruntled fans against um, Saint Etienne as well. But um, you know, I think that uh, obviously Saint Etienne, you know, uh, played their match this weekend, uh, and it didn't certainly didn't come to this um, this level of um, of this level of display. Um, but yeah it's um i i mean it's i i think to me i un you know certainly i don't condemn violence um or don't condone violence i should say <laughs> um but i yeah i these these fans are um these fans are having a hard time with um with the realities of, of of, of Liga teams in the modern game that, um, you know, the strategies that have allowed uh, like Leon to, main, to maintain a level of, of competitive edge um, within the game, you know, that that is, you know, building a new stadium, having Chinese investment, continuing to invest in the academy um, as a case study, uh, despite having fallen on some hard times, um, you know, most notably, you know, roughly a decade ago. Um, you know, we don't see that approach from Marseille. They, they still seem to think that they can, by and large, buy their way out of trouble. Um, and again, I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that these actions were appropriate. Um, but this unrest on the part of the fans is, their unhappiness is, comes from, not, not in its manifestation, but this unhappiness comes from a frustration at the way that the club has been run. And we've talked about that ad nauseum on this program. Um and you know, I frankly, I don't know how this situation can be repaired. I mean, you know, bar bar selling of the club or or perhaps bar Aero stepping down. Um, but I you know, then I wonder, you know, is that in the club's best interest? It's it's a really complex and challenging situation and it, it's frustrating too, because you know, I, I think that Liga at its best is at its best when you know, the, the quote-unquote traditional big clubs are strong and are well-run. Um, and Marseille, since the takeover of Frank McCourt, has not been. Um, I, I'll make no bones about that. I think that their transfer strategy has been horrendous. Um, they only you – know, they've made some, some decent – I mean, oh, look at the sale of Morgan Sanson, right? You know, a talented midfielder. I think they made what, $4 million net profit on him. You know, again – you know, it's it's a it's a challenging time economically for for clubs all over the world. But the strategy that that Marseille have taken, uh, you know, in terms of player acquisition, player development, um, is is you know, nigh unreprehensible. And and you know, I think that again, you know, the fans should not react with violence. But um, you know, the other ways in which they've expressed their frustration in recent weeks, um, you know, seem to be somewhat landing on deaf ears. And, you know, I, I I'm not again, I think that their their level of desperation had simply reached a boiling point. Um and again, you know, these people should be punished on, you know, as the law dictates, and there should be no um you know, there should be no level of um Oh, how do I say this? There should be you know no shortage of, of punishment for them and and they shouldn't be made out to be heroes but you know I, I mean i don't know uh you know it's okay this is perhaps a tenuous analogy, but much as the you know the right wing imbeciles here in the united states have <laughs> have made their have felt that they they feel that their their country is changing in a way that makes it unrecognizable. Okay, um, and I think that these Marseille fans, these Marseille fans, feel that their club is changing in a way that makes it unrecognizable. So you know, in some ways, then I think we could say that McCourt's not wrong in characterizing uh, the violence this way—that mm-hmm. that it's it's um, a level of desperation and ignorance and. Well, I guess hate doesn't really come into play so much in, in Marseille, but you know that analogy is not wrong in some ways as, as sad as that is. Um, yeah, I and it, you know and and obviously the final situation that the world's in because of because of COVID because of the health crisis doesn't help. But, but you know, yeah, I I, I I I I'll open the I open the floor to you too. I mean, I can't see a way that this. Ends bar some major change in terms of ownership or or, or presidential
0: structure. Management well, this is this is what I was gonna I was gonna put to you, uh Kale, because what does come after after something like this? You know, I guess we've seen. My mind goes back to similar events we saw. I think at at Sporting Club de Portugal, like um maybe in the two thousand two thousand seventeen two thousand eighteen season, where there was a huge bust up at the training ground, and you had. You had um, and that was effectively re- the result of kind of dis- dissent and um, and kind of disgruntled disgruntlement amongst the fans um, towards the running of the club. And it culminated in, you know, several players being injured and and all this. And, you know, what 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 happens after an, an, an event like this? Because, uh, you know, as Eric says, I think this it, it, it's not hard to see where this has come from. Um, not that we, not that we of course condone any of, any of the kind of the, 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 level of the manifestation, I guess, that was, that was expressed, but, um, what is next, you know, because surely Jacques Henri is not going to resign as, as Marseille president, you know, and, and, uh, it's hard to see there's, there's been no kind of immediate suggestions that the club, that M- Frank McCourt is going to look to sell the club. You know, what happens next? Do we know, can we tell? <laughs> I think the answer is we don't, and
2: I don't think there are any quick fixes to this. You know, I think, like we've been saying, I think if you're a Marseille fan, you've been watching the team for the last several years, you're going to be naturally disappointed, especially by this season. You know, you probably went into this season with high expectations, given how last season went, and you, and they've basically been knocked down at every turn from a terrible Champions League showing to uh, what's turning into an increasingly disappointing the season. I, I, I mean, I don't know how you, f- you fix the problems at Marseille short term. And I, I think last year was mm. kind of this blip, you know, like they, they are in the middle of a pretty serious FFP problem. They can't sign too many players. They have to sell players. They have to remain net, but even. So it's not like even if they wanted to, they could go out and sign players to solve their problems. They're struggling to maintain the academy players that they're developing. When you look like when you look at what happened with Marliake today going, or today or yesterday, I think yeah. it was going to Juventus, and then uh, I'm sorry, I'm oh, Lahaji going to Lille. Like they're losing even the young players that they're, they're developing in their program. I think. There's some real core issues with the club that you know last season under Volus Boish, it really papered over over these issues, you know, and I think maybe it made the Marseille think that okay, we're finally heading in the right direction, and now the reality of this um, their financial troubles and the poor spending and lack of uh, lack of accountability and just lack of planning. Is still staring them directly in the face, and uh, yeah, I think the reality is there is not a quick fix to this. It's going to take years, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything ECHO can do. And you know, to to just add something onto ECHO, I don't think he's going to re- going to resign. But you know, he's also someone that should be answering a lot of questions about the TV rights, which we'll talk a lo- about a little bit later. But you know, I think there are a lot of questions that ECHO should should be a- answering for.
0: Yeah, I don't think many, um, even non-Marseille fans, would um, would disagree with that. But yeah, it certainly does seem seem to be very bleak at Marseille. And and as Eric, um, as Eric point, pointed out, and, and um, has pointed out on the show before, you know, I think Ligue 1 is stronger with with a strong Marseille. So it is a really sad state of affairs. Um, Kael, I'll come to you now. Um, what have you got for us to bring to the table this week?
2: Uh, I'm going to talk about everybody's favorite topic, League on TV rights. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Obviously.
2: Take it away. Uh, okay, well, I feel at this point, everyone, I'm going to assume that most people are up to speed on the uh, MediaPro saga. And if not, a quick synopsis is that MediaPro paid an exorbitant amount for the League on rights, and then they told the LFP this. I think it was in August that they weren't going to be able to make their next payment. So the LFP took them to court media pro paid a settlement fee. I think it was around hundred million euros and then their contract was annulled. So in this intervening period, the LFP has been looking for someone to take over the rights. Um, compounding that issue was that they went to talk to Canal Plus first. Canal Plus made an offer of I believe roughly 400 million for all the rights Uh, The league rejected that, and then Canal Plus said they they wanted to go back and renegotiate their deal with them, which sees them, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they have two games a week, and they paid uh, $332 million roughly for that rights package. So now Canal Plus is saying, you know, that's rights package held against what you're asking or what you're likely to get. Um, for whatever deal will take this Mediapro place is uh, exorbitant. So we want to renegotiate or we want a break on that contract. The league refused or the LFP refused. So now they are also going to court with Canal Plus. And in the hope of trying to finally get someone to purchase the rights, the LFP opened sort of this tendering date which uh, went off today, where anyone looking to purchase the league rights could, and the rights could approach them with an offer. The LFP set a mark of 300 million for what they would need for the rights in order for the uh, leagues to remain uh, sustainable. Apparently, uh, what happened is RMC, BIN, Canal Plus all boycotted the tender date, so none of them put in offers. And then, additionally, it was—it's been reported that no one has come in with offers close to the 300 million that the LFP was asking for. Uh, the offers that they did get that at least are of interest to them—they have said—are from Amazon, the Amazon Prime streaming service, uh, from Zone Discovery, and from Lucier, uh, who is backed by. Uh, investors we don't know who they are at the moment um it's still a bad scene basically is the short story uh but uh the lfp has said that they're confident that they're going to go back to these companies and uh start negotiating and hopefully well the hope is that maybe they can put together a package or they can negotiate them up to the 300 million that they're looking for but essentially still more tender hooks still more issues and concerns surrounding the future of french football tv rights and in the same sense still concerned about the future of french football
0: that was an excellent excellent summary i think everyone will will agree of the situation thanks for that kale um, yeah, all all too kind of familiar, repetitive news. Sadly, I mean, uh, what do you see happening if you if you kind of had to hazard a guess or an estimate based on kind of how the situation is developing? You know, is there is it just a case of the LFP negotiating with the companies that that they feel they can take things forward with? Um, and and even then, will they be able to get? Do they truly believe they'll be able to get that three hundred million euros? I think it's
2: kind of twofold. I think it was always unlikely that they were going to get the 300 million that they were asking for because I don't see the motivation personally in those companies coming and bringing that type of number to them. I think there's still a chance that they could put together a deal. Uh, With the people that have, with the companies that have come forward that are interested in the rights that gets them up to that number or even, you know, up above that number. I think that's possible. And I think French football rights are probably worth somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, Mm. I think it's going to take time and I think they're going to have to be creative. But I think they've, I don't know, they've not put themselves in a good position at all throughout this entire process. But at least they have got some interesting bids, and at least companies like Amazon and DAZN are interested in broadcasting them, or you know, taking them to an OTT and over-the-top service. And they're international uh, OTTs, so I think that's potentially a positive. But mm-hmm. yeah, they they didn't put themselves in a good spot from the outset, and and you know, they're playing catch-up constantly. So I don't think that they should hope for anything too spectacular.
0: Well, hopefully there is positive news to come in light of what you said there, Cale. Um, I think we all can all agree that not just for uh, French football, but I think for kind of morale as, as a whole, it would be nice to have some, some good news come our way. Um, speaking of news, however, today is, as I mentioned at the top of the show, deadline day as we record uh, this evening. Um, we've seen um, all manner of deals happen. No spectacular kind of 60 million euro signings, but then of course we didn't expect that with the ongoing financial situation. We've seen links such as Sven Botman and um linked with uh, with a move to Liverpool. We've seen Josh Maguire linked potentially with a loan move to Fulham. We've seen Nemanja Radonjic linked uh, move, sorry, to Hertha to Berlin. Um, while in terms of incomings in Ligan, the likes of Anthony Modeste has made an arguably long-awaited return to Ligan with Saint Etienne uh celtic midfielder olivier nicham looks like he's on his way to to marseille jean-claire todibo has joined nice to pair up with fellow promising uh young french center-back william saliba that's quite exciting uh guys are, are there any deals or, or rumors from today that that particularly struck you um i guess for better or for worse eric i'll, I'll come to you first
1: um yeah i it, it looks like um Frederic Gilbert is, is going to come back. Uh, we talked about Serie already. It looks like Frederic Gilbert is going to come back um, with Kenny Lala appearing to head to be heading to Olympiakos. Um, seems a strange move, um, but it is European football. Lala himself uh, has said he's surprised by it and by the move, but um, yeah, I, I like that. I think Gilbert is a is, is a very solid player who, you know, maybe isn't quite Premier League standard, but I, I think is. An exciting and, and dynamic player to watch, and I think he all, he's, he's also more solid, I think, than is um, than is Lala, despite Lala's gifts going forward. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a a solid move um, for Strasbourg to to get that cover um, for for uh, for Lala, you know, provided those deals do go through.
0: Yeah, he's going to be a, a, a difficult player, and you would think to to replace for Strasbourg Kenny Lala, given his kind of importance to them over recent years. But but Frederic Gilbert would certainly be a a very very decent replacement. Kale, um, what about you? Has anything caught your eye?
2: I think a couple little ones. You know, I think uh, Todibo is pretty exciting. It'll be nice to see him playing hopefully every day next to Saliba. I think that that could be a really fun, exciting, dynamic centre back partnership. I like the Nietzsche deal for. Um, For Marseille, I think that's a good bit of business, and I'm kind of a little bit shocked that Marseille was able to get him. Uh, And then some of the little uh, loan moves or smaller moves, we talked a little bit about Diada. I think that's pretty exciting. You know, obviously Monaco exploiting that ownership link between Bruges and Monaco. I think he could be a fun player to watch. Uh, I'm hoping that Milik can do something. <laughs> and I really liked uh, Jean-Lucas going from Lyon to Brest, even if it's just alone. I think, you know, I'd like to see him get more playing time in Liga, and I think Brest is a good fit for him with the type of pressing that uh, they do and that,
0: that I think he's capable of. Yeah, I'm excited to see more of uh, Jean-Lucas, um, you know, yeah, really I, in I, game time at Lyon. I, Sorry, Eric, go for it.
1: I, no i'm not there for him I, you know i i think that his attitude um has been very poor at leon um maybe that maybe that's that's it that's a part of um his you know his not playing but i don't think he has for me i don't think he's displayed in his actions um a requisite level of maturity to to make it in european football despite i'm not ag- i'm not disagreeing with his his talent um uh, but again, you know, uh, I think that the, the emergence of Kakaray and the arrival of the rivals of Bruno and, and Paqueta have, have made him a man of that a country in, in, in that regard, but, um, he's not handled it well. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I follow him on Instagram because for work, not because I, <laughs> I have any particular affinity for him, but I, I, I follow, you know, uh, all of Leon's players and, you know, he's, uh. He's often more busy running around in his shorts than he is, you know, posting pictures of him, him working hard and training. Now, I know, again, you know, social media is not everything, but I think that if that's how the player wants to choose to represent himself, um, I think that says a lot about his attitude. Um, you know, we're always seeing, you know, pictures of people on Instagram working in training or, or doing something. I know that, but, you know, we, we tend to see him getting a haircut or him, you know, in his underwear running around. I just... I, I don't, uh, I don't know. I, I, I really have issues with his maturity. I mean, given he's not, I think he's 23. He's not a, he's not a young player. Um, or he's not so young at this point in the game. I know that we've sort of had our expectations of how young players emerge, hyperbolized, hyperbolized a little bit with uh, the breakthroughs of the likes of Kimavinga and Mbappe in recent years. But, um, you know, I, 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 if we look at you know, some of the younger players coming through at Leon right now, uh, Sonali Diamande, Ryan Cherkey, Melvin Bard, Maxence Kakare Yeah, I, I personally I think that I know Leon has spent money on him. I know he has talent, but you know I've seen people uh, in Leon fan groups tipping him up as a replacement for
0: our. No way! No way! Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that seems slightly uh, superfluous. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I'm sorry. Actually, I I, you know, it, it, I don't mean to be too harsh on a young player. I just I don't think that Leon. Is the right situation for him right now, um, either for club or for player. Um, and I, I think that a permanent move probably would have been a better option, honestly.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe he just needs the right kind of coach um, around him. Not to say that Rudy Garcia obviously isn't the, the right kind of coach for a lot of players, but you know, perhaps kind of a, 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 stern, a stern disciplinarian will be able to get the best out of, out of Jean Lucas in the, in the future. Um, that will be all from us this evening. Um, Thanks very much for joining me tonight, guys. As always, make sure you're following us at GFFN on Twitter for all the latest news from the world of French football, um, including all of the updates from today's transfers. And please check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. I'm Jake Smales, and I've been joined by Eric Devine and Cale Stockwell. Stay safe, enjoy the football and have a great week.